0: So now go to God's Word, let's just prepare our hearts. What are the tasks that God has set before you? Are you trying to reach out and plant seeds of the gospel to your parents, to your brothers, to your sisters, to your relatives, to your friends, to your schoolmates or office mates, to your employers or employees, to your neighbors, to your community? Are you trying to pursue excellence in your work, not ultimately because you you want to get a raise, but you want to honor and glorify God? Are you trying to steward your money and the resources that God has given you so that you could make all you can, save all you can, give all you can? Are you trying to live a holy life in school or in the company that you're working in or the government institution that you're working in? Are you trying to set up a Bible study or discipleship group at your home or in your school or in your office? Are you trying to teach, mentor, counsel, train believers for spiritual maturity and also for spiritual multiplication? Are you trying to serve the Lord and use the gifts that God has given you? Are you making yourselves available, teachable, faithful, In the music ministry, in the tech ministry, ushering ministry, prison, evangelistic ministry, ACES basketball ministry, TV ministry, children's, youth, young adults, men's, women's, couples ministry. Are you trying to raise your children in the fear of the Lord, modeling how to love God and teaching your children as well to know and love God? Are you trying to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Are you trying to submit to your husband as as the church submits to Christ? Are you trying to obey your parents as to the Lord? Maybe you are indeed trying. You are trying your best. You're giving your best effort, but you hit the wall. Nothing seems to be happening You're stuck, you're discouraged, you're trying, but it seems like you're failing and you don't know what to do and you're thinking about quitting. God's message for you this morning is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You are trying, but not relying on the spirit of God. God's work must be done in the power and might of His Spirit. Man's power and might pale in comparison to the power and might of God through the Holy Spirit. You and I need God's Spirit to do God's work. That's why we are to rely on God's Spirit for God's work. Amen? Rely on God's Spirit for God's work. Why don't you tell your seatmate? Rely on God's Spirit for God's work. We'll be exploring the chapter where that famous line comes from, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. <clears throat> it's a famous biblical line and it's mentioned oftentimes, or we, we, we hear it in, in some songs, but not a lot of people actually know where to find that verse. Do you know where to find that verse? It's in Zechariah chapter 4. So please turn your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4. And we will be reading the whole chapter. And let's all stand in honor of God's Word. Zechariah 4. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me. Like a man who has awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. He shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and of the left of the lampstand? And a second time, I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to praise and thank you. You have been so good to us, so gracious, so faithful, even giving up your one and only Son so that we would know you and love you. We love because you first loved us. And thank you for the opportunity to worship and thank you for who you are and what you have done. And we thank you as well for this opportunity to worship you by listening to your word, engaging with your word, interacting with your word, with our hearts. And I pray, Lord God, whatever that we have that are hindering your work in our hearts, we pray, Father, that that would be broken, that that would not succeed. I pray, Lord God, that our hearts would be transformed and be empowered by your word and by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me take your seats. In Zechariah 4, 1-7, we read about the rebuilding of the temple through the power of the Spirit. And the principle that we can derive from this is trust the Spirit. Trust the Spirit. The, the foundation why you and I need to rely on the Holy Spirit is because we trust Him. We trust His power. We trust His might. You cannot rely on someone you don't trust. So trust the Spirit. Why don't you tell your seatmate? Trust the Spirit. Again in verses 1 and 2, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. So we see here there is this vision of a lampstand, a golden lampstand, probably a menorah. That's what you see in the temple in Jerusalem when uh, there was still a temple before. And when we went to Israel, we took a group, photo with this huge menorah located in Jerusalem's old city Jewish quarter. And it was made by Temple Institute, and it was created exclusively to be used in the temple that they are longing for, a third temple. The Jews are desiring for a third temple. And so we had an opportunity to take a picture with this huge menorah that they would place there in their desired third temple. And as the name suggests, a lamp stand, what does it do? A lamp stand helps a lamp stand. It supports the lamp. It holds the lamp, just like what we have uh, cameras and we have tripods for, for the camera. Imagine if our cameramen would be holding the camera all throughout uh, the service. So there, there's a tripod to support and hold the camera. And so a lampstand holds and support the one giving light. And in this vision, every part of the lampstand is made of gold. So it's very beautiful, very precious lampstand. And on top of the lampstand is a bowl. So there's this golden lampstand. On top of it is a bowl, and this serves as a reservoir, and it paints a picture of the oil pouring into this reservoir, this bowl. It paints a picture of abundant supply, and around the bowl are seven lamps, with each lamp having seven lips or spouts, totaling to 49 spouts. And then they, are ve- they have light. It's a very bright light. So the image is a very, very bright light. And we find here the number seven, seven lamps. Oftentimes, we find it here in this chapter seven, and it speaks about perfection. So we have here a vision of a perfectly bright light, a perfectly bright light. And the bright light symbolizes Israel and its witness to the world. Israel was to shine brightly for God. And God calls us to do the same, to to shine for God. But you and I know that the Israelites have failed in shining for God. And you and I know that we too have failed in shining our lights for God. And that's why it is such a great news that Jesus came into our world. And in John 8:12 it says that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the true light of the world. Do you have the light of the world inside your heart? Do you have Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Even before we talk about you shining your light, do you have Jesus in your life? He is the light of the world. How can you possibly shine in this dark world if you don't have Jesus in your life? What kind of light will you shine if you don't have the light of the world in your life? And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 5, 14-16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And maybe right now you're thinking, wait, I I thought that Jesus was the light. So why is Jesus now telling his disciples, you are the light? In what sense are the disciples of Jesus the light of the world? It's just like the sun and the moon. The sun has light on its own. It emanates light and it's coming from within. How about the moon? Does the moon have light on its own? Can it give out light on its own? It seems that way especially on a very dark night and a full moon and you find, wow, what a beautiful moon. It seems like it's giving out light. But actually, the moon is dependent upon the sun. The moon does not have light on its own. The moon is simply reflecting the light that the sun has. In the same way, you and I don't have any light we cannot shine in and off ourselves, but through Jesus, we can reflect the light of Jesus and we can shine for God. The question is, are you reflecting the light of Jesus? Are you shining your light? Are you shining for God? And maybe you're asking, how, how can I shine for God? Well, the verse that we quoted in Matthew 5 gives a suggestion. By our good works. We can shine for God by our good works. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. God has prepared good works that we should walk before them. These good works that God has given us and entrusted to us. Are you doing good works for the glory of God? And when you shine for Jesus, people will notice When you do good works, they will see and they will give glory to God. And what an honor to give glory to God, right? You and I are called to glorify God. We are to glorify God. Now, it's one thing for me to glorify God. It's one thing for you to glorify God. And it's another thing when it's other people. Other people are glorifying God because of what they see in your life because of your testimony, because of your good works. That is a powerful testimony. That is other people who are giving praises and thanks and glorifying God because of your life. Speak words of love and kindness. Do acts of mercy or generosity to someone in your company or community. Be sensitive to the needs of others. Pay for someone's lunch. Or do groceries for a family. Shine for Jesus so that others will see your good works and glorify our heavenly Father. Now in verse 3, we find there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Now the two olive trees supply oil to the bowl. And in ancient times, olive oil was used as fuel for the lamps. And the picture here with these two olive trees pouring out oil to this bowl, the picture is limitless oil. Limitless, abundant oil flowing from the trees down to the bowl, down to the lamps. And did you know that in the temple, the priest needs to make sure that the lights of the lamp would still be on throughout the whole day and the whole night. And so the priest would go and check twice a day, twice a day every morning and every evening if the light is still on, if there needs to be some changes with the wick or if there needs to be They need to refuel it with more olive oil. The priest would do that so that light would continually shine inside the temple. But here we find that there are no priests needed to light the lamps. A priest is not needed. Twice a day checking is not needed. Abundant supply of oil is given so that this light would shine There is an unlimited, abundant supply of oil. Now, imagine you're driving your car, you're driving your Toyota or Honda. I don't know what your car is, but just imagine you're driving your car and you'll always be in full tank. Do you think that's a good deal? You would always be in full tank. And that's because your car has been customized and your car will have two gas tanks, one on the left and one on the right, and your car would miraculously have two gas pumps attached to your car. So one on the right and one on the left. You would have gas pumps, and you would have an endless supply from heaven, heavenly fuel for your car endless supply from heaven raining down, going into the pumps, into your gas tank, into your car, into your engine. It doesn't matter where you go, amen? It doesn't matter where you go. Whether you're going to circle around the Philippines for a million times, you would never run out of fuel because you have unlimited supply. And that's the picture that God is giving out here to Zerubbabel. And God is saying, Zerubbabel, I'm going to supply you with endless supply of strength. In verses 4 to 6, And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts." Now for us to truly understand the impact of this verse, we need to know the context. We need to know the background. Zerubbabel led the first band of exiles from Babylon to the promised land. The time of their exile is coming to an end, and Zerubbabel is their leader. And he's leading this first batch of Jews to the promised land. And you would think that Zerubbabel and all the exiles would be greeted with a parade, greeted with tarpaulins or banners, greeted and be welcomed like a hero. They would have a hero's welcome because they have returned from exile. But actually, the opposite was what happened. One Bible historian puts it this way. The actual return was a crushing disappointment. The returning exiles found Judah a wilderness and the holy city a wasteland. Corruption was everywhere, even among the priesthood. The descendants of those who had escaped captivity were hostile to the newcomers, fearing that their Babylonian brethren might try to recover their former family properties. So they were not welcome. It was not a hero's welcome when they came back to the promised land. And Zerubbabel was tasked by God to rebuild the temple. The first temple was built by Solomon. And what was the budget in that building project? And what was the manpower of that project? Solomon had a massive manpower to get the job done. He recruited 30,000 Israelites to get the raw materials in Lebanon, 70,000 Canaanite slaves as burden bearers, 80,000 stone cutters in the hill country, 3,300 chief officers who supervised the work. Solomon had more than 180,000 skilled workers. And he, he had a lot of resources. He had a huge budget, and we see it because the temple was made, the first temple was made through costly stones. How about Zerubbabel? How's the budget? How's the manpower of Zerubbabel? He had 50,000 men, women, and children who came with him. I don't know how many skilled workers he had. He only had limited funds. The only thing that was many for Zerubbabel was his problems. He had many opposition to the rebuilding. There were enemies of Judah and Benjamin who heard that Zerubbabel and his leaders and the people coming out from exile will build a temple, rebuild their temple. And so they said, let let us help you. Let us help you rebuild this temple. But Zerubbabel, well, you can't really trust your enemies, right? Zerubbabel and his leaders refused. And so the true callers of the enemies of Judah and Benjamin came out and they discouraged the locals. They said, don't try to rebuild the temple. They even gave threats on the locals, on those who would try to help. And they would even bribe people not to rebuild the temple. And the enemy succeeded. The the only thing that Zerubbabel was able to build was the foundation. Just the foundation of the temple. Many gave up. Many just focused on rebuilding their own homes. And they left the temple only with a foundation. And Zerubbabel himself was discouraged. He was downcast. He gave up. He quit. And it wasn't until 15 years later that the prophets Haggai and Zechariah were able to convince Zerubbabel to continue the rebuilding of the temple. 15 years. 15 years. And what we find is just the foundation of the temple. Zerubbabel relied on his own might and strength, and he failed. And that's why the word of the Lord is such an encouragement to him. God told him, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Imagine how encouraging that would be for Zerubbabel. God is, in effect, saying, Zerubbabel, you can't do it. You can't complete the task. Your wisdom is not enough. Your power is not enough. Your might is not enough. It is humanly impossible for you to do your task. But what is impossible with man is possible with the spirit. It is not by might, nor by power, but by the spirit of God. Human might is limited. Human power is pathetic. Man's power and might had already failed because the rebuilding of the temple was too demanding and too difficult. But God was going to supply an endless supply of strength and power through the Holy Spirit, and He would supply it to Zerubbabel so that Zerubbabel would finish the task that God has entrusted to him. And what will happen if Zerubbabel would trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. This great mountain is the opposition that Zerubbabel faced. It is the hindrance that he and his leaders face. This great mountain, will be flattened. This great mountain, this opposition, will be crushed by the power of the Holy Spirit. This great mountain will be pulverized. And there would be shouts of joy, shouts of grace, grace to it. And even those who oppose the work, they themselves even would shout for joy for what God done. They themselves will vindicate the work of God and the workers of God. Brothers and sisters, there is power in the Holy Spirit. Amen? There is power in the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the Holy Spirit who empowered Zerubbabel is the same Holy Spirit that you and I have if you've truly trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you know that the Holy Spirit... The Spirit of the Almighty God resides in you if you have turned from sin and trusted Jesus alone as Lord and Savior of your life. And do you know what this means? Do you know the potential that you have since you have the Spirit of the Almighty God dwelling inside of you? Do you understand what this means, when a basketball coach is trying to recruit a basketball player, he would scout and look for talent, he would look for potential. And if there is this basketball player who is is six eight, very tall and athletic, and he's very good with his dribbling, his handles are just crazy good. He's like a Kyrie Irving, 6'8", but dribbles the ball like Kyrie Irving. He has crazy range. He can shoot from anywhere. Steph Curry kind of a shooting. And he would shoot the ball wherever he wants. And he can go inside the paint and he could dunk really hard. What would the coach say about this basketball player? That basketball player has potential. A great potential to be a great basketball player. When a record label is looking for a singer and holds an audition, they will look for someone with potential. And if a lady comes and her voice is just immaculate, she just hits all the right notes, even those very high notes, and she does it with with much power and charisma, what will the judges say? She has potential. She has great potential to be a great singer. How about you? Maybe you don't have potential as a singer. Maybe you don't have potential as a basketball player. But how about a man and a woman of God? You have so much potential that you don't even realize it. And I'm not saying this because I'm now into positive thinking psychology. The message that I'm giving you is not, you can do it. The message is not just visualize victory. You got what it takes. That's not the message. The message is not, wake up every morning and look at yourself in the mirror and tell to yourself, you can do it, you should do it, you will do it. That's not the message. The message actually is the opposite. You can't do it. Your might is not enough. Your wisdom is not enough. Your power is not enough. Your potential is not based on your talent. Your potential is not based on your giftings. Your potential within you is because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's your potential. And you have so much potential within you. You have the Spirit of the all-powerful, almighty God living inside of you. I don't know about you, but that just blows my mind. This powerful God, by his grace and by his mercy, resides in me. He lives in me. You have so much potential, you don't even realize it. You and I can say, through the Holy Spirit, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who lives in me, who strengthens me. We have so much power and potential with the Holy Spirit. The only question is, do you trust the Holy Spirit? Do you trust the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you trust the wisdom of the Holy Spirit? I think many of us, the reason why we don't pray as much don't read as much, don't come and attend small groups as much, is because we don't trust in the Holy Spirit. We don't rely. We don't depend on Him. Why? Because something is wrong with our hearts. We think that we can do it. We think that we could do it all alone with, with our own wisdom and our own strength and our own power. And we get surprised when we're in trouble and we get surprised when we're so weak and so burnt out and we get surprised that we are so ineffective and such a failure. We thought we could do it on our own strength but clearly we see we cannot. In our pride, we think we can but how about this morning that you lay down your pride Lay down your self-sufficiency and trust in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given you a new heart, a new life. He has illumined your mind so that you could understand the Bible. And the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is guiding you. The Holy Spirit is directing you. The Holy Spirit enables you to live a victorious life. The Holy Spirit made you alive in Christ and is sustaining your faith in Christ. He purifies and sanctifies you. He empowers you for service. So why don't you pray in the Spirit? Why don't you be filled with the Spirit and be filled with the Word of God? Why don't you be led by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit and live By the Spirit, may God, according to His riches of His glory, grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being. Live out, brothers and sisters, your great potential. Because the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of you. Imagine if you truly believe that. Imagine if we would live that out in our lives oh that would be powerful we've seen the promise of god to rebuild the temple through the power of the holy spirit now in verses 8 to 14 we will see the importance of the temple and the coming of the messiah and the principle in verses 1 to 7 is to trust the spirit and now in verses 8 to 14 the principle is focus on christ focus on Christ. Why don't you tell your seatmate, focus on Christ. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So, Zerubbabel would be able to place the final stone of the temple, and it is a promise of God that Zerubbabel will indeed complete and finish the task that God has entrusted to him despite all odds. Zerubbabel will complete the rebuilding of the temple. And why was the rebuilding of the temple very important? What did the temple symbolize? It symbolized the presence of God. And isn't it sad that God's people during this time, God's people did not care about God's presence. God's people did not care. The temple was a symbol of God's presence and they just allowed it to be laid in ruins. They just allowed the foundation to be built They don't care about the presence of God. God's people not caring about God's presence? Is that also true in your life? Do you care about the presence of God in your life? Do you care? Do you love His presence? But God, for His namesake and because of His covenant faithfulness, will rebuild His temple. He will be with His people. And aside from the enemies that I mentioned to you, and aside from the hindrances and the limitations that Zerubbabel encountered, there are also those here who are called those who despise the day of small things. Who are these people? These were people who wanted to rebuild the temple. They wanted it to succeed, but they were so pessimistic of its success. They are discouraged. They lack faith, and so they did not help. But even they, even those who had little faith, they themselves will rejoice. The enemies will rejoice. The opposition, those who uh, try to hinder the work of the Lord, they themselves will rejoice. And they they shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. That is, they they will see the day when Zerubbabel would finish the temple. And continuing in verse 10, these seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. These seven eyes, what do these mean? It means God's perfect oversight. God can see everything. God is omniscient. He knows everything. And God who sees the whole earth and even beyond is also supervising and also having oversight on the rebuilding of the temple. God's eye is also looking at those who are working in the rebuilding of the temple. Don't worry, brothers and sisters, if it seems like nobody notices what you do for the Lord. God, in his perfect oversight, sees you. And he has not abandoned you, and he is looking over you. Verse 11 Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right? and on the left of the lampstand. What are these? Zerubbabel was asking, and he was not given an answer. Actually, the answer was already given. It is not by might, not by power, but it is by the Spirit. This is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit giving endless supply of strength and power to Zerubbabel. Then he continues, and a second time, I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. The two branches represent the two anointed ones. And in this case, the one branch represents Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is acting like the king of Judah at this time. And on the next branch is the great is the high priest, and the high priest at that time is Joshua. Joshua is the high priest. So we find here the two branches, they symbolize the kingly office and the priestly office of Israel. And Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, they were to be a channel of blessing a channel of blessing to the Israelites. They would be a channel by which the Holy Spirit would demonstrate His power and might. You too, through the Holy Spirit, could be a channel of blessing to others. And you too could be used by the Holy Spirit mightily. The people could see the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now in the Qumran community, they expected two kinds of messiahs, a kingly messiah and a priestly messiah. But they failed to understand that you don't need two messiahs. You don't need a kingly messiah and you need another priestly messiah. There's only one that we need and his name is Jesus. And he is both king and great high priest. And ultimately, it is through Jesus that the power of the Holy Spirit flows. Zerubbabel, the leader of Judah, was a type of Christ. Joshua, the high priest, was a type of Christ. There is no need of two messiahs, a kingly, a priestly. Jesus is the Messiah who is both king and priest. So don't you see in this chapter that this is not just about the Holy Spirit? But this is so Christ-centered. Because how do we know that the Holy Spirit truly worked in our midst? What is the sure sign that the Holy Spirit, His power and His might was demonstrated in a genuine way? The sure sign is Christ is glorified. John 16, 13-14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will, uh, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There are many who claim that they operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, self-proclaimed apostles and prophets, and evangelists. And they hold revival meetings. And they hold meetings that you can be healed. It's a healing crusade. Is Christ glorified in that meeting? Is Christ glorified in the ministries of these so-called apostles? People would applaud their feel-good messages. And people would uh, applaud their mighty works of healing. But these imposters that before the event ends, they would make sure that they would collect a huge donation. And they would tell the people that if you give this certain amount, God will truly bless you. They are trying to let you buy the blessing of God. And after the event, they go home flying in their private jets, getting picked up by their Bentleys or Mercedes, and they would go home and sleep in their mansion. Do you think this kind of ministry glorifies Christ? Who gets the glory here? Seems like it's the so-called apostles and prophets. Now, don't get me wrong. I still believe that God can heal God can still perform the gift of healing and prophecy and tongues they have not ceased. But surely there are imposters out there scamming poor people to sustain their carnal lifestyles. When the Holy Spirit works and moves in our midst, it is not man who gets the glory. It is not man who gets glorified. It's not the gifts of man that gets the glory. If the Holy Spirit genuinely moves in our midst, it is Christ who gets glorified. It is Christ who gets the glory. So that's a sure sign that truly the Holy Spirit worked when Christ gets the glory. So Zerubbabel and Joshua were tasked to rebuild the temple. And what did the temple symbolize again? The presence of God. And God... God a son in his incarnation to wealth tabernacled among men. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But Jesus was despised and rejected by men so that you and I would be forgiven of our sins, be granted perfect righteousness, and be given the gift of the Holy Spirit so that God is not just with us through the Holy Spirit. God is now inside of us, and we are now the temple of God. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You and I are portable temples. Wherever you go, you bring the Spirit of God with you, the presence of God with you the Spirit of the Almighty God living inside of us. And He empowers us and gives us everything that we need to finish the task that God has given us. What has God called you to do? What are the goals that God has impressed in your heart? What are the projects or programs that God has called you to organize and implement? Are you discouraged? Do you want to give up? Are you thinking of quitting? Is there so much opposition in your life right now? Are there people causing division or giving out threats to you? Or there are passive Christians who just criticize you, but they don't offer any help? Are there other people who are trying to override your leadership and your decisions? Or people or even friends stabbing you behind your back? Do you have people putting you down instead of lifting you up, criticizing you instead of encouraging you? Do you lack resources, manpower, finances? Do you want to throw in the towel and just quit? God wants you now to see and experience the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life and in the impossible situation you are in right now. The question is, will you trust the Spirit and will you focus on Christ? God wants to use your life. God wants Christ to be glorified in your life. Will you tell about Jesus Will you testify about Him? Would you shine your light? At the end of the day, the reason why we should not give up in the task that God has entrusted to us is because our focus is on Christ, not on people, not on our problems. Our focus is Jesus. It doesn't matter ultimately who opposes us. It doesn't matter ultimately what sacrifices we endure. What matters most is Christ being proclaimed and Christ being glorified. So brothers and sisters, press on. Trust the Spirit. Focus not on your problems. Focus on Christ. We praise God that our church building is near its completion. We just need a couple more rooms to be completed at the second floor. But there were many who opposed the building project. Many criticized why we bought a property in Banawa. Of all the places that we could have a church, why in Banawa? More than 10 years ago, this was not a good location at all. From People from the north were not very happy. Many criticized why we would build a massive building. Why do we need to, to build a, a massive building? building? Why don't just have a simple building and give more to, to missions? They, didn't like, they did not like the idea that our church would be a conference center as a blessing to other churches. Many were irritated when the road works was being done in Good Shepherd Road. Do you remember how muddy it was, the, the road when it rains, how muddy it got? and how difficult it was to drive up here. And many were so irritated. Many were mad that we had to stay in tents for a significant uh, number of time because the sanctuary downstairs was, uh, it needed renovation. And so it was so hot and people were irritated and, and mad. And we had our service down in the basketball court for years and the progress was very slow. And people would come up, come up to the second floor and look at the progress and come up to the third floor and see not, not much progress. And so they became impatient and mad and many left the church. Many caused division because of the church building. Instead of helping, they were instead doubting and criticizing the leadership and the direction of the church. Many said that this building will never be completed. It will never be completed. They despise the day of small things. There were even critics who said, this church is rotting and is going nowhere. My dad and the elders have gone through many oppositions, hindrances, and criticisms, but God showed this building is a testimony that it is not by might nor by power but by the Spirit of God. Praise God. And by God's grace, we have been able to host many conferences, conferences on worship, evangelism, apologetics, discipleship, missions, Bible surveys. And we're going to have a conference this December, uh, November on ministry and another one on preaching. Our church has been a blessing to other churches in Cebu, even other churches in this country and even beyond. The vision, praise God for that. The vision is being actualized and God is graciously vindicating His work and His workers. And we may have different mountains in our lives. What is the mountain that you're facing right now? Whatever mountain you're facing right now, we have the same Spirit. We may have different mountains, but we have the same Spirit who supplies us with inexhaustible strength and power for the work that God has given us. That's why rely on God's Spirit for God's work. Let me now give you an opportunity to just commune with God. If there are there are any sins that you want to confess to God, any pride of self sufficiency, trusting in your own power, wisdom, and strength. I invite you to confess your sins right now and lay down your pride and surrender to Jesus and focus on Jesus and ask the power of the Holy Spirit to be demonstrated, displayed in your life right now. Ask for power from on high so that you could face the mountains that you have. And even for those who don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus, take this time to surrender your life, to trust in Jesus alone as your Savior and Lord, not your good works, but in Christ alone. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word reminding us that we are mere human beings, limited in our wisdom, knowledge, and strength. But we thank you, Lord, that the potential that we have does not reside in us, does not depend upon us. We have nothing to give, nothing to offer. And yet by your grace and your mercy, instead of pouring out your wrath upon us, You poured out your love and you sent Jesus who lived a perfect life, died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice, and rise from the grave as a perfect evidence that if we trust in Jesus and turn from our sins, we have complete forgiveness, perfect righteousness, and the gift of the Holy Spirit residing in us. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are so unworthy to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are filthy and dirty sinners, and yet you have cleansed us through the blood of your Son, and you have adopted us into your family. And you have delighted to dwell inside of us. And thank you, Lord, that we have everything we need in you. We have everything we need in Christ. We have everything we need in the Holy Spirit. We have new life. We have a new heart. We have a new mind that could understand your word. We have a new power to live victoriously in our lives. Oh, I pray, Father, that we would not belittle the Holy Spirit, but we would trust Him, depend on Him, rely upon Him, and live out this great potential that we have since the Spirit of the Almighty God resides in us. Father, I pray that we would live out powerful lives and powerful testimonies that would glorify Christ. We seek not glory for living word or our church or our small groups or our leadership or whatever programs that we have. We seek the glory of Jesus Christ alone. May he be proclaimed and glorified in this church and in our lives. And in his mighty name, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.